Romans chapter 12. Turn there in your Bibles. Now, Chris, was it some nine, ten months ago, started in Romans chapter 9? Taught through Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. Got to Romans 12. And I will be finishing up Romans 12. I do not know if this is it for Romans or not. Now, as long as Chris has been in Romans and the significant investment of time and energy he's put into Romans, I don't think he's very happy about the fact that I get to close it out. So I'm just guessing. Maybe he'll have one more out of Romans. Maybe he'll go into chapter 13. I don't know. It's good stuff still. I don't know what his plans are. But today we will conclude our study of Romans chapter 12. Um, If you recall, let's... Look into your notes and you can see there it's grateful living by the mercies of God in Christ. In Romans 12, 15, um, says in eight and, verses 8 and 9, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, go, show God's truthfulness, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles, that's us, might glorify God for His mercy. We are the recipients of God's mercy. In Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. So we are to glorify God's mercy. That's what we're living for. That's what we're pursuing, is to glorify God's mercy for us in Christ by doing what? First of all, it was worshipful worshipful living for God, and it was merciful living with one another, and then merciful living with our enemies, which is sometimes also one another. But that was sort of funny. Um, okay. And then now we are at grateful living in the local church. All right, how many worked hard yesterday? How many played hard yesterday? Because you all are tired today. All right? So, Kirk, did you sense that a little bit as you were uh, leading them singing? <laughs> In other words, is that what, is that what you were doing up there? I thought you had. I thought it was better than that, Kurt. So, all right. So, grateful living in the local church. Are we ready for this? Yes. Are we? All right. To see if you if you don't if you don't respond or anything, I'll like stare at you and clap and and things like that, or ask a question until somebody responds. So, I can't. Yeah. I'm not doing a legacy class lesson where (laughs) they stare, you teach, and okay, you're happy. (laughs) All right. Um, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Let's read read those. Read, Read those verses. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, 
The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, how do we glorify God with grateful living? We'll jump right into this. We glorify God with grateful living, but the first step of doing this is to get over yourself. Ever been told that personally? Okay, don't raise your hand. You can just kind of think, "Eh, I got that one before. It's usually when you're about 13 or 14, though, you know, get over yourself. Come on, let's go. Um, But get over yourself. And that's that's kind of, you know, rebuking in in its tone. I know that. But but that's kind of the reality that we all have to deal with. Because this is something we're all going to struggle with. We all have to get over ourselves, all right? It's not about you. It's, there's a, what's, it's, it's a song. Um, it's all about you. What, what's the worship? It's all about you. You know that song? So the joke with me and Kim is, you know, one of us says something that's clearly very selfish. And so it's, you know, we just invert it. Or it's not about you, you know, and sing it to each other kind of a thing. It's that, that's not about you. Come on, you know. And or but of course it is about Kim because she's my wife. That's the way it works. So, <laughs> so but it's not about you. It is and it always will be about Christ. Okay, so get over yourself. Let's look at verse three again. In the ESV it says, "For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment." each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There in your notes is, is verse 3 in the message. And, and you know, verse, verse 3 is like, you know, really short in the ESV and pretty much any normal translation. The message expounds it, but it's really good what it has to say here because it really describes what we're dealing with. So let's read this. It says, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. So, get over yourself. Now, at the end of verse 3, it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. There's a kind of a theological question that comes with that phrase. Like, okay, we're supposed to do these things according to the measure of faith that God has given to us. Does that measure of faith refer to the saving faith that God gives to every believer when we're saved? When, when God chooses us and we respond in repentance and faith, that is God acting in us and giving us faith, okay? So God gives us saving faith. Is it referring to that? Or does this refer to the, the grace gifts that are given to us, that are given to every believer? Um, you know, the measure of faith. Is this a, oh, the measure of the faith, the, the gifts that come to you when you come to God in faith? In some sense, it refers to both, especially because in the context here, it's going right from verse 3 and 4 right into um, some verses that talk about the, the grace gifts. In some sense, it refers to both, since grace gifts are given to the believer when they are saved by faith in Christ due to God's sovereign grace. So you can look at it as either way. Hey, by the measure of faith that you received at salvation or the measure of faith you received at salvation that gave you your grace gifts, either way, something to understand there 
is the source of the faith is God. And based on the grace and based on the faith that we receive from God is the way that we are to respond in this. So, get over yourself. So, to get over ourselves, we've got to start with, we've got to get over ourselves using some some balanced thinking. Really some some biblical thinking. All right? And remember, this is Romans 12.3. It comes right after Romans 12.2 that says, renew your mind. And this is kind of what we're doing here. We've got to renew the way we think about ourselves. Get over yourself. Well, change the way you think about yourselves. Change the way you perceive yourself. Change the way you, you, you consider yourself. Instead of, we've got to look at it from God's perspective. So first of all, all we have comes from God. So don't think too lowly of yourself. All right? All we have comes from God, so don't think too lowly of yourself. Two reasons we might think too lowly of ourselves. And some of us really battle with this. First of all, we'll think too lowly of ourselves because we don't acknowledge that God is our creator. And, and when I say don't acknowledge, we don't understand what that really means for us. And see, physically and spiritually, all we have includes the physical and spiritual gifts we have, our shape, our experiences, all those things. All the things that make up who we are come from a creator, God. We are created in his image. Psalms 139, verses you're familiar with, but let me read these to you. And think about this. Psalmist crying to God, for you form me, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me, saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and verse 10 Makes it very clear of who we are in Christ here. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Right? We got that part. We like that part. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. We're familiar with those verses. But verse 10 is right there. And it says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them not think too lowly of yourself understand that all we have comes from god because we are god's creation we are god's workmanship that word workmanship there in ephesians 2 10 is literally where we get the word poem it's his work of art it's his it's his magnum opus that is what each and every one of us are we are his workmanship but also we think too lowly of ourselves because we don't acknowledge God is our loving Heavenly Father. He's our Creator God. He created us. But that makes Him really big, huge, powerful, and way out there, right? Well, He is also our loving Heavenly Father. All we have includes forgiveness from our past failures, total and complete acceptance by our loving God, adoption into God's family, 
the resurrection power of Jesus, and all the spiritual blessings of heaven. That's what we have from a loving Heavenly Father. I think some of us struggle with the, I just can't forgive myself over past failures, sins, struggles that we may have, mistakes we've made in our past. Now, the reality is we can never forgive ourselves because we are not the ones that we wronged. When we sin, we sin against God. We don't sin against ourselves. We don't forgive ourselves. But we come to a point where we can't get past the failures. And we can't get to a point where we let them go. And we continually look at ourselves through the eyes of of man. And we look at ourselves in the context of having all these things that we've done wrong. And we hold on to them. And that we just consider them a part of who we are. Well, let me tell you something. That is not how God sees us. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Tell you what, we may struggle with getting past the stuff of our past. We may struggle with letting those things go, but God doesn't. And for us to not think too lowly of ourselves, we need to see it, see ourselves as God sees ourselves. All right? We need to acknowledge and understand that we have a loving Heavenly Father. And the reason He's a loving Heavenly Father is because we have been justified, redeemed, and adopted into His family. And that when He sees us now, He sees us as justified. Because we have been declared righteous by God. And when He sees us as justified, He sees us as holy. We'll talk about this some more in another point. But but guys, we've got to get past this, oh, I blew it there. I can't do anything for God. I blew it there. I can't do anything for God. I've got to get over ourselves. Later in Romans 8 and verses 14 through 17, it says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Ephesians 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We have to acknowledge that God is our loving Heavenly Father. We have to acknowledge that God is our Creator. If all we have comes from God. Don't think lowly of yourself. Now also, all we have comes from God, so don't think too highly of yourself. First Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? This is important. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Don't think too highly of yourselves. 
All we have comes from God. All we have of value, all we have of worth comes from God. If you take God, Jesus, and the gospel away, we have nothing to offer of value. We were slaves to sin and servants of Satan. But as slaves to sin, we were redeemed by the price of Christ's death on the cross. Without God, without the gospel, we're still in bondage. We have nothing to offer. Don't think too highly of yourself. Romans 12, 16. Paul just makes it clear. Let me, let me speak plainly. Romans 12, 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty. You have, you have to, when you say haughty, you have to almost do it with an English accent. Do not be haughty. But associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Pretty clear. Pretty clear how we're supposed to behave. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 2. When it comes to not thinking too highly of ourselves, this is a, a key passage. So I just want to take a couple of minutes and look at Philippians chapter 2. Remember, we're trying to get over ourselves, right? Get over yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Understand that God is your creator and that God is your loving Heavenly Father. But also, don't think too highly of yourself. All we have and all we are comes from God. But Paul in Philippians chapter 2 says this. Look in verses, verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. We at home, we, we used, because I was working through this lesson, I was like, okay, we got, we got family devotions. And so we went through this passage. And it's just kind of funny. We got two kids that are just as selfish as can be because they're kids, and that's just how they tend to, tend to drift a little. And so as you read the verses, do nothing from rivalry or conceit. Rivalry. I mean, how many of... Even last night at the dinner table, as we're eating our meal, Zach's doing something with his food, and Abby looks at him and goes, copycat, because she'd already done it. I mean, now granted, it's a 10-year-old, but still, there's just there's automatic rivalry. So I'm reading this passage. So do nothing from rivalry or conceit. And you can see it, their eyes are, oh, okay. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Uh, and of course, they're just thinking, what? Count my sister more significant? What? Let each of you look not only on his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Care about what's going on in their life? What? You know, hey, the reality is, hey, for a 16 and a 10-year-old, yeah, this was, you know, they're going, yeah, that, that is not how I live. That's not how I The reality is, how many naturally think and live this way? Yes, I'm always looking out for the interests of others. And yes, I, as I go about my business, I always consider others as more important than me. Anybody, that is your natural inclination in life. No. No. And, and, and so, it's just hard. You look at that and you go, that, that's not normal. In fact, that's kind of whacked. You know what I mean? You go around living this way, there's going to be a, you, you're weird. But that's what we're told to live like. And when in chapter Romans 12, we're told to live this way of, hey, 
Don't be too haughty. Hang out with the low people. The same idea. Let each of you look not, or in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. God, I, I don't know about that. I can't do that. I can't do it either. It, it's just, it's insane. But look at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this way of thinking. Have this way of living. Have this way of behaving. Have this perspective, this paradigm of life among yourselves within the body of Christ, okay? Have this way of thinking where you look at other people as more significant than you, where you consider their interest above your own, where you're looking out for each other. Have that way of thinking in yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He doesn't say, go and get it because you don't have it. He says, this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, some versions will put it this way. Something like, which is also the mind of Christ. Which, that's fine. The ESV makes it very clear, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Either way, what we understand is, this is the way Christ lived. That He would come down, and it's in the rest of chapter Ephesians chapter 2 in verses goes on in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 talks about Jesus coming down from heaven to be a servant, a servant to death on the cross. The ultimate others are more significant than me. That is the mind of Christ. But here's the thing. As believers in Christ, we have Christ in us. And that mind of Christ doesn't come because that's naturally how we think. This way of behaving and thinking and living doesn't come because that's naturally the way we are. It comes because we have Christ in us. And when we were resurrected with Christ, we received the same mind that Christ has, and we now have that available to us. This is very much in line with what Pastor Bruce has been talking about the last couple of weeks in 2 Peter. Because we have all that we need to finish our faith. We have all all that we need to live as others more significant than ourselves. Don't think too highly of yourself. So get over yourself. Don't think too lowly. Don't think too highly. But also, get over yourself with sober judgment. Get over yourself with sober judgment. For by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. First of all, see yourself from God's perspective. See yourself from God's perspective, not yours, not others, and not the world's. God's perspective. This is the sober part of sober judgment. The sober part of it. It, it's worthwhile to pause sometimes and think about what is my perspective on myself because it may need some adjustments. What's that inner tape recording saying over and over and over again about myself? That's where sometimes that renewing of the mind's got to get changed. That's what we talked about. God sees us as holy and justified and, and it's there. So 
it may need to get adjusted. What's the, what are other people's perspective on us? Ooh, that one's scary. Because how often are we influenced by what other people see us as? Or what we think other people see us as? And it, it changes us, it impacts us, it affects us. Whether that be your spouse, maybe that's parents, maybe that's a sibling, maybe it's people at work, or maybe it's our friends around us, whatever it is. But be careful, it's not about their and other people's perspective of us. See yourself from God's perspective, not the world's, because as Christians, the world's perspective is not going to be real pretty. They're getting more and more irritated with us, us, with us Christians. What is God's perspective of us? You already wrote, read Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore no condemnation. If you have been justified by God, if you're a follower of Christ, if you're saved, then God does not see you with condemnation. God's perspective of you as a believer, as a follower of Christ, is not a perspective with condemnation. You've got to get over that one because it is real easy for us. We go about our daily lives as we live to think about God with this idea that He is there ready to hammer us, ready to strike us down. That he sees us and he is just so disappointed in us because we're just so imperfect. God sees us as holy. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, that's us, Right? And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. What? Why? Why did Jesus do this? In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God. When we receive the work of Christ on the cross, we are presented as holy and blameless and above reproach. Later in Colossians, in chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Paul calls the church of Colossians, and he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. While we were sinners, enemies, and in rebellion, and while we were serving Satan, God loved us. God chose us. God redeemed us. God declared us righteous and adopted us as his children. God sees you as he sees Christ. Chosen. Holy and beloved. See yourself from God's perspective. Know that in Christ you are chosen, holy, and beloved of God. And then act on God's perspective as you make decisions about yourself, others, and the world. This is our judgment at work. You're supposed to act in so, with sober judgment in light of who we are. Hey, don't think too highly of yourselves, but think with sober judgment. We need to understand that we are just like all the people around us and around the world. Right? Don't think too highly of ourselves. We're not better than, we're not greater than, we don't have greater value than anyone around us. They either are currently an enemy of God, or they are past enemies just like us and seen by God as chosen, holy, and beloved. Who are we to think that we deserve more or better than anyone else? 
all we are is just like everybody else, and that is a rebellious creation of God that has been redeemed by God and lifted up to be chosen, holy, and beloved. So now, act on God's perspective as you make decisions. Live this out. Act on it. Now, so far, we haven't even gotten to the word grateful. And this is all about grateful living, right? So what does getting over myself have to do with grateful living? It has so much to do with grateful living. You see, a heart of gratitude comes from understanding what we are without Christ and how great the mercy was that now presents us before God as chosen, holy, beloved. When we understand the greatness of God's grace and mercy in our life, we will be compelled to respond. That response is grateful living. Living with gratitude. Grateful living means serving. Romans 9, 10, and 11 that Chris has taught through. It's all about God's mercy on us. That God was choose us, that He would justify us, that He would allow us to be a part of His family. These truths come, and, and as we contemplate and understand this reality, what more response could we have but to glorify God in humble gratitude for what He has done? But we're not supposed to stay on our knees just sitting around worshiping. No, Romans 12 one made it clear that our ultimate worship is a sacrifice of service. And that is the worship we're supposed to put into place. So, grateful living is first of all, get over yourself, but then start serving one another. Start serving one another. Romans 12.4 For as in one body we have many members, the members do not, do not all have the same function, so we, though many, as one body in Christ and individual, individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to them, let us use them. Grateful living recognizes that there's unity in diversity. Okay, There is unity in diversity. Grateful living understand this, understands it and it recognizes it. We are many but we still live in harmonious unity. And we are many. Just look around us. Look around a little bit. Okay, there's a whole bunch of us. And we're different. There's, there's differences. But there's unity. Romans 12, 5 through 6. Romans 12. Romans 15, 5 through 6 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3. I know I keep jumping back to Colossians. That's because I know that book better than Romans. So, Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, We've heard that one already, right? So that's who you are, chosen, holy, and beloved. Put on then as God's chosen, holy, and beloved, 
compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. These are all things you do in service, by the way. But verse 14, and above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3, 12 through 15. It's serve one another, forgive one another. It's all about the other person, just like Philippians 2 says, and be thankful. We are many, but still in, live in harmonious. We are one with much diversity in function, roles, and gifts. We are one. For as in one body, we have many members or parts. And the parts or members do not all have the same functions. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Though many are one body in Christ, much diversity. As we as a body of believers are transformed by God into the likeness of Christ, we will more and more have the same mind as Christ. That's that unity. See, as we grow spiritually, as God transforms us into the likeness of Christ, we all become more and more like Christ. So we all and more have the same mind, the same way of thinking, the same perspective on things. But guess what? It's not all the same for us. We don't all have the same gifts. We don't all have the same personalities. That's, that's what's absolutely amazing when you think about the way God works. When you read a passage like this, you start to think, oh, God's trying to turn all of us into these robots that look and act and behave and say all the exact same things. But the reality is God transforms us inside. And although we are transformed and we are changed, we still retain the uniqueness with which God created us. And in that uniqueness, is not, it's not only the way we look, which is different and strange from each other. So we're unique in our looks, but we also have different personalities. We have different desires and heart passions. We have different gifts and talents. But then when we're saved, we're given, given spiritual gifts. And those are unique and different, each one. And then and these things all, and we have personality, and we have all these things are at different ratios and everything else. So that none, not one of us is exactly the same. And even as we're incredibly unique and different, we're all growing with the same mind of Christ so that our perspective, our desires, our loves, our hates are all in tune with Christ's. So that when we come together into the body of Christ, where Christ is the head, we're unified. And when Pastor Bruce leads us forward as a church, we're unified. And we move forward together. And we understand how we're supposed to move forward and what the right thing is. And we follow. Because the mind of Christ. But we're all doing it in our own different giftedness. We're doing it in our own unique shapes, in our different personalities, in our different skills and talents. It means we are one with much diversity in functions, in roles, and in gifts. So yeah, grateful living recognizes unity and diversity. 
Grateful living also rejoices in using their gifts to serve one another. Grateful living is going to rejoice in using gifts to serve one another. We should be zealous in in actively serving the local church for the rest of our lives. That's a big statement. We should be zealous. Kind of an old school term, old school word, but we know what it means. We should be passionate. We should be excited. I mean, I won't go to a sports thing. Unless you, I mean, listen to the Royals, listen to Rex Hudler. Like, there's like six. That's why I wasn't going to go there. That's the guy. He's zealous about everything. You know, for some people, it's annoying. I'm kind of getting to where I like him. He's just excited about everything. This is the way we ought to be. We ought to be zealous in in actively serving the local church for the rest of our lives. You want to know what it is you were created for? It's doing the mission. Doing the work of the local church, which is the Great Commission. Go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them all that Christ has commanded us. That's that's what we're to do. Actively serve the local church for the rest of our lives. Look at verse 6 in Romans 12. It says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. These are often called motivational gifts. The gift of God's mercy in Christ should motivate us to serve Him and His church. They're called motivational gifts. Grace gifts, different things. See, motivation changes everything, doesn't it? When we understand who we are in Christ because of God's mercy, we humbly respond with a gratitude that motivates us to serve. The greater our depth of sin, the greater our need for a Savior. The greater the mercy that God provides the greater our gratitude. The greater our gratitude, the more passionate our service. God, I'm just not real passionate about serving God. And you don't see how sinful you really were and how great God's mercy and grace was in saving you. Because when we understand how great the mercy of God is in saving us, how can we do anything with our life? but serve Him. How many have read Robinson Crusoe's book? Love that book. I'm not talking about the little picture book. That's what we had as kids. And we probably read them all. We had all these classics. They were. And they had the words on one side and a big picture on the other side of the page. And that's how we got to know the classics. We were reading them when we were little dinky dudes in elementary and stuff. But Robinson Crusoe, Treasure Island and stuff, that was the first time I ever read Robinson Crusoe. So, but a great story. I haven't seen a movie, seen the story. Okay, everybody's familiar with the story. But you've heard of My Man Friday? That's from the Robinson Crusoe. Well, how did he get this, this guy named Friday? Well, Robinson Crusoe on the deserted island sees this guy about to be eaten by cannibals. And what is Robinson Crusoe? He comes charging out of the woods with his muskets and blows away the cannibals. And they take off running. And so this guy who is about to be eaten is sitting there and has been saved. 
Robinson Crusoe sacrifices himself, puts himself in danger to save this man. And what does Friday do? He goes up to Robinson Crusoe, kneels down and takes his foot and puts it on his head. I'm your servant forever. What he said. Robinson Crusoe named him Friday because it was Friday that that occurred. But why did he do that? Because he was grateful. You saved my life. If you save my life, you get my life. When we understand the greatness of God's mercy in our life, we will respond with zealousness and passion in our service. Paul can call our total surrender to God in Romans 12, 1 and 2, reasonable. New King James, it uses, for this is your reasonable service. And there's, this is the service that simply makes sense. How else are you going to respond? The creator of the universe redeemed you and adopted into his, you into his family while you were still enemies with him. It is this kind of service, if this kind of service seems unreasonable to you, then you may not have God's mercy in your life. If it's absurd for you, the idea of passionately serving the church, devoting a life towards doing the work of God, then you may not have God's grace and mercy actively working in your life. Consider that. All right, last point here. We should be glad to use whatever gifts we have to serve one another. Here's a passage on spiritual gifts, and we're going to spend about 90 seconds on the spiritual gifts. Because here's the thing, guys. This isn't about taking a spiritual gifts test and doing all this. In fact, Romans has one of the shortest lists of gifts in it. So you're not going to use this passage for an exhaustive study. Chris has done those more exhaustive studies on spiritual gifts and 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 if and if you go through discipleship, you talk about them and, and all this. So I don't want to spend a lot of time here. But the key to, things to understand are we should be glad to use whatever gift it is we have to serve one another. These gifts all differ, but the motivation is the same. God's mercy to us in Christ. So, what are these gifts? What are these? It says... In Romans chapter 6, again, Romans 12, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. One of the key phrases in there, by the way. Let us use them. And then what are they? If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, this gift was of true revelation from God and ceased with the completion of the Bible or the canon. And as the last generation of apostles passed off the scene, we no longer needed prophets. It's Inspired and inherent function is replaced with the inspired, inherent Bible. Its exhorting and encouraging function is replaced with the gift of exhortation and encouragement, which we also see in this passage. So if prophecy in proportion to your faith, at the time they're prophets, and they're receiving revelation directly from God. Now we have God's revelation and God's word, and we no longer have prophets receiving direct revelation. So, in, But then it moves on. In ser, if service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. 
The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Glad. Whatever the gifts are. And there's other gifts besides what were listed right here. You, want, you know what the best way to figure out what your spiritual gift is? Bar none. The best way to figure out your spiritual gift is to get busy serving. Because you'll get involved and get part of a ministry team and you get to serving and it's not going to take very long and someone's going to walk up to you and go, you get the gift of exhortation, don't you? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I just like telling people they did a good job. Got the gift of exhortation. Guess what? That's kind of how it works. You figure it out by getting busy doing service and serving one another. We need to close. Consider what God has done for you. Consider it. Think about it. Ponder. Okay? Pause a moment. This is my this is closed, but that means we have five minutes before it's even 10.30, so nobody has to rush. So ponder. Think about what God has done for you. Consider the wrath you deserved. Consider the mercy you received from God. Think about the blessing of being called a child of God, a fellow heir of Christ. And now, Consider the great privilege we have, the freedom we have to come boldly before our Creator, call Him Father. I can't ponder those things. But that just, just kind of blows you away a little. You're just kind of in awe. Amazed. Romans 15, 8 and 9. Let's read it again. For the very top of your notes. It says, For I tell you, for I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. And why? In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His when we consider these things, consider God's mercy in our life. Understand that we are to glorify God. We are to lift Him up. We are to praise Him. We are to live a life that glorifies Him. It's a life of worship. That is a life of showing mercy to others. That is a life of gratitude. And gratitude Shown by serving those around us. You can see the words in the box at the bottom of the notes. Those who delight in giving God the glory He deserves will determine to get over themselves and start serving others. Let that be our goal today. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much. Oh, we've just talked about it over and over again. So many passages in the Bible, it is so clear what you've done for us. Great sacrifices that have been made. 
so that we could receive your mercy. We could receive your grace. We could be lifted enemies to you, being adopted into your family. God, we thank you that you now see us as chosen, holy, and beloved. Thank you for that, God. But God, as you have renewed our hearts, let our minds be renewed with these truths so that we will be motivated to do what you have commanded us to do. That we will pursue obedience. That we will strive towards serving others, motivated by what you have done for us. Ask this in Jesus' name.